everyone. I'm Dr. Beverly O'Brien, the founding dean of the College of Behavioral and Social Sciences at Coppin State University and your host for today. And I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Harry Legum, who is a full professor in counseling psychology and behavioral health. And this is the Coppin Connection podcast. And our topic today is the importance of celebrating Martin Luther King Jr.'s day from the perspective of a historically black university and college. And we have two wonderful guests from our own Coppin State University with us here today, right, Dr. Legum? We sure do. A very pleasant good morning to each of you. And thank you very much, Dean O'Brien. We have been joined by Dr. John Hudgens, the founding force and chair emeritus behind our Martin Luther King celebration at the Coppin State University. And ladies and gentlemen, we're also pleased to be joined by Dr. John Rice, his phenomenal Christie Prege, who assumed the chairship of the celebration just a short two years ago. Dr. Hudgens is a sociologist and an associate professor of applied social and political sciences, as well as the co-director of the master's program in human services administration, who has been guiding students for the last 28 years here at Coppin State University. Among his many involvements are also membership on the Maryland Task Force on Reconciliation and Equity, supporting Senate Bill 350. Dr. Rice is a relatively new assistant professor in the Department of Criminal Justice who brings, yes, folks, 22 years of experience and providing leadership, technical assistance and support to organizations that serve low socioeconomic families in the areas of child welfare, youth development, criminal justice, and efforts to create safe and stable communities. So here we are with these two gentlemen and we're so happy to have you here. And so, I want to, since our topic is on the significance of celebrating Martin Luther King's birthday, I want to start with our founding force of our celebration here at Coppin State University, and that would be you, Dr. John Hudgens, and um, welcome. And what was your motivation back in 2013 when you started this? Well, thank you, Dr. O'Brien. Uh, the major motivation was the contradiction of knowing how great and wonderful Dr. King's life and his contribution had been. And as an HBCU, we were not doing anything. Uh, I was looking around, I think the year before, I realized that uh, there were a number of things taking place um, in Baltimore, uh, some major activities, uh, but nothing was taking place at Compton. And the fact of the matter is that uh, in some of those days, the actual holiday, we would be working uh, because the holiday would be the Monday following. So it just seemed to me like it was a great idea to uh, do a significant tribute to Dr. King uh, as a way of bringing the campus together and uniting around what he stood for and also refreshing in our minds what it is we stand for as an HBCU. And fortunately, I believe it was Dr. Avery was the president at the time. Uh, he wholeheartedly bought into the idea, uh, suggested that I run with it, uh, made some funding available for it, uh, particularly the breakfast, uh, and it's been going since then. Uh, we were also at that time um, in the spirit of the election of um, Barack Obama. And I think uh, the whole black community was just very excited about that. 
And I can remember the first tribute we actually had uh, people in tears because he had been elected. I think he was going to be uh, inaugurated a few days later. But everybody was on a basic hype about that. So yeah. it just seemed real fitting. Uh, and again, part of it was to uh, reinvigorate us as an HBCU and our obligations uh, to the broader Black community, as well as the society as a whole. And it worked. I mean, it worked. I was there, and it was a it was a wonderful thing. And the, and the it did bring the campus community together. And I think it was a wonderful thing. And um, what have you enjoyed most about it? I've enjoyed uh, two things. One, there's a good sense of togetherness when we do it. But I've also enjoyed the way that people come together. Uh, we don't really do it at the last minute, but we come pretty close. And we have to make a lot of things happen in order for it to take place. Uh, the dining hall staff, the publication people, uh, the setup people in the uh, dining hall, the sound, uh, a whole lot of people. And nobody says no, nobody makes an excuse, no. and they all just jump right in. And it just bursts forward as a great activity on the day that we're going to have it. But, you know, we've got people literally hustling the night before, but there's no resistance. The whole idea that we're doing it for Dr. King seems to be uh, the inspiration that carries it forth. And people, as they always say, make a way out of no way. Right. Make a way out of no way. And that you've clearly done. It has been wonderful. Dr. Rice, what about you? How, how, as a new co-chair of the last several years now, um, what are your motivations in doing this? And what have you enjoyed most about about it? Well, again, uh, Dean O'Brien, uh, Dr. Legum, uh, and to my dis distinguished colleague, uh, Dr. Hudgens, uh, I'm glad to be here to share. And echoing the sentiments of Dr. Uh, Hudgens, I love the fact that um, it, it's an event that is centered around the spirit of the work of Dr. King, but also it brought the campus community together. But I would also add that what has also been exciting and a blessing uh, and being able to uh, support and lead this event with the planning committee is the opportunity to acknowledge uh, Eagle awardees. These are people in the community who may run organizations or may give of their own time selflessly, similar to Dr. King, uh, to improve the human condition. Uh, and so each year, uh, we, the committee, uh, identifies individuals who have a, really a proven track record of giving back to the community. Uh, and so be it racial justice, social justice, addressing poverty, education, um, we've been able to make that connection with people in the community and some who are uh, graduates of Coppin, uh, proud graduates of Coppin doing great work and bring them back and say, hey, we appreciate what you're doing. We encourage them uh, as, as a body. Uh, and it also, uh, in a way, uh, inspires faculty and staff to continue to do the things that we need to, to do to be successful as a university. Uh, and also a component of the event is a keynote speaker. Each year, we have a keynote speaker that discusses uh, the life and legacy of Dr. King and how it's inspired their work and their life. And so, you know, we had Dr. Bunley, uh, Andre Bunley, a distinguished educator last year, this year, Pastor Kevin Slayton. Uh, prior to that, uh, the, the great uh, William Murphy, uh, attorney and former judge. And so 
making those connections with people that can inspire us, no matter what role you have. I don't care if you're uh, a custodian or if you're someone who works in the missions office or you're a guest. Uh, the event is one to motivate and move each person to be the best that you can be. And I think that has done exactly that. I, I, I agree with you completely. It has, it has done that. And I, um, I'm, a, I'm especially pleased about the Eagle Awards. And I'm glad that you now call them Eagle Awards since we are the home of the, we're the Eagle Nation and the home of the Eagle. And we talk about our students taking flight and, and, and um, achieving their goals and flying high. So I think it is wonderful that we've now established the Eagle Awards at, for this particular event as well. And honest to goodness, I guess just over time, just things happen and you learn each year. Every year, this, this event has become better and better and better. It has just been a wonderful thing, but I have to co commend you, Dr. Hudgens and Dr. Rice and the entire committee on this year's event. Not only was it stellar, but we're getting pretty good at this virtual thing. And it's, uh, it's a different, it's quite different. Although I must say, I'll be looking forward to sitting down and having breakfast with my colleagues next year. I hope that that can, uh, that can be a part of it. It's, it's more difficult to, um, to, to um, commiserate with your friends and colleagues in, in this environment, but you've done a fabulous job with this. And Dr. O'Brien, I echo your Thank sentiments you. um, and we should feel really proud that we're hosting this event and have been for the past several years. And God willing, it'll be for several more years to come. But I'd like to ask our guests um, what they think the impact of celebrating Dr. King's birthday is, particularly at an HBCU. Anyone? Um, I'll take a step for that. Uh, HBCUs were formed uh, right on the heels of slavery uh, to provide an educational opportunity for the Africans who had previously been enslaved. And the idea which has been fundamental to the black community forever has been that education is a critical part of moving uh, black folk forward as well as moving the nation part forward, a critical part of liberation. So Coppin following in that tradition we ought to be, and we are in many ways, about serving uh, the country, but also serving specifically the African-American community. And Dr. King was all about that. Uh, I was just thinking as we were um, preparing for this, you know, Dr. King was killed during my year in high school. And I had been kind of ambivalent about Dr. King as, you know, a young kid, uh, young talkative kid, you know, we were torn between accepting nonviolence and seeing if there's another way to do it, because there was a lot of anger uh, during that time. And I guess it just sort of hit me when he got killed, uh, and particularly listening to his last speech, uh, that he was literally willing to give his life for this cause, this cause of making America, as he said, what it ought to be, but also the cause of Black liberation. And for me, that was fundamental to HBCUs, uh, and it just seemed just so fitting that as an HBCU, that when we combine those two missions together, the importance of his life and what he stood for and what we were founded to do. And it's a way of, as I said, reinvigorating and reminding us of our true mission. 
Uh, and I think it has, uh, for the most part, served that, served it very well. I would uh, add that HBCUs uh, also serve uh, as the foundation for so many uh, students across uh, the globe, uh, particularly uh, students of color and African-American uh, students. Uh, Dr. King uh, got his foundation uh, at Morehouse uh, College, and he was um, mentored by the president, uh, the late uh, Dr. Benjamin Mays. And so we know that uh, HBCUs, uh, we provide that um, mentorship uh, through education and through training uh, and through developing trust-built uh, relationships uh, that support our students and cultivate their talents so that they can move on and do uh, great things, uh, be it in the fields of their interest, uh, in business or nursing or criminal justice, the military, whatever it is that they want to do, entrepreneurship, uh, the H HBCUs provide a foundation, but what is specific to me, to Dr. King, is the focus on uh, social justice, addressing racial inequality. If you look at what's happening today in our society, the unarmed uh, shootings, the shooting of unarmed African-Americans uh, by law enforcement, um, racism and discrimination uh, that is uh, amplified uh, based on the political climate. Uh, all of those things are uh, opportunities for our students to address through the training that we give them. So they can be similar to Dr. King, be prepared to go out and not be discouraged, but to go out and use their uh, training and skills that they receive in a, at an HBCU environment, that cultivation, that love, that resilience, and be prepared to deal with those unique societal challenges um, that we see. One of the quotes that I appreciate from Dr. King was injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And so the, 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 the spirit of Dr. King, the utilization of HBCUs as a place to convene safely to discuss um, strategy and advocacy to deal with today's problems such as they did in the past are all things that resonate uh, with me. You know, you're so on point with that. I was, I was thinking just recently and doing some other research and how, how Martin Luther King actually, in, at the very beginning of his time, when, when Rosa Parks took, did not get up on that bus to give her seat up, and how Martin Luther King ultimately started the, the bus boycott that started such a movement among young people. I guess I'm pointing this now, among young people and the sit-ins that started um, because of that. And I was, I've been thinking so much about the, what our students are thinking about all the things that have gone on recently. Ironically, the January 6th incident that just occurred in conjunction with our students being home and viewing all of this, it might've even been different had they, been on campus and been more engaged in things that they might not have been on a screen to see some of what went on, but they did. And I was thinking about the impact this has had on them and especially in this, in this particular month and how it is an opportunity because Dr. King was all about um, social justice, but also peaceful, 
peacefully doing it. And what we saw was clearly something very different. So I agree with your point um, in terms of uh, the opportunity to model to students what should be, as well as to handle themselves gracefully, because this has been a very different climate than what most of them had seen previously. And I would also add to that, Dean O'Brien, is to also understand that to, to give our students uh, the, the, um, the, the courage and the motivation that even though things may not appear to be in our society uh, perfect or great, but to be able to see beyond that and to kind of be and to utilize their influence as Dr. King did uh, to affect change, be it volunteering at a social justice organization, um, amplifying uh, the cause in terms of putting uh, supporting legislation from our local uh, politicians that's supportive of, of, of equality, um, or just you know being able to volunteer uh, at a at a, a local organization to help uh, the underserved. It doesn't matter what point of the continuum as a student or as a community member of Coppin that you enter, there's always something for you to do and a role for you to play. And I think Dr. King showed us that you don't have to sit on the fence. You can speak up and speak out, but everyone doesn't have to be the same in that advocacy as long as you step up and do something. Correct. Well, I would kind of add to that probably from a, a slightly different perspective. Um, I think our students are going through a wake up call. Um, and as it did for me back when I left high school, when Dr. King got killed, I mean, violence was front and center in terms of a reaction to all that he stood for. And January 6th and some of what we've been enduring during the last four years uh, has said to our students, it should say to them, and I know it said to many of them, uh, that this is real. Uh, I can remember back during the Obama years, we had a uh, discussion on campus about the Confederate flag in South Carolina. And I remember a number of young people said, well, Dr. Hodges, that's old school stuff. You old folks did that. And, you know, back in the day, that was an issue. But we don't have to deal with that anymore. And I think uh, the past four years has been a wake-up call. Those things are not gone. There's violence. No, no. Uh, even the stuff that Dr. Rice talked about a minute ago in terms of these police shootings. Um, these things are not accidental. And in many ways, they come out of the same animosity and the same hostility uh, that we get from the Klan and from the Proud Boys and all those folks. And as a matter of fact, I remember when I was a kid, I don't want to go back too far in terms of the youth thing, uh, but we were very cognizant of the fact that uh, many of the folks in the Klan were also on the police department. And as we saw with the January 6th thing, any number of those people that were out there protesting were what, military? Uh, and some of them were in fact law enforcement officers. And in fact, it got out of hand because they bonded with the Capitol Police. So we're looking at a very massive system. And I think the thing that our students need to recognize, as all of us need to recognize, in the same way that that system killed Dr. King, uh, it is also pushing back. It is not a system that rolls over and just gives up because we make the right and correct statements. It pushes back. And I think many of our young people, especially through stuff like Black Lives Matter, they're kind of like reinvigorating the movement. Uh, I'm sure many of them are looking at the quotes from Dr. King and Nelson Mandela and other folks, but they're recognizing their role in struggle. And I have to, the last thing is to underline what uh, Dr. Rice talked about. 
uh, the role of HBCUs. Now, I'm not one to blanket HBCUs because a lot of them have not stepped up to the plate. Uh, there are a lot of what we used to call Uncle Tom administrators and faculty. But if you go back and look at the history, you can find pivotal things that happened. Um, the fact that Rosa Parks had some contact and had spent time in Alabama State. The fact that there were some black women at Alabama State that had really put this thing together and they were just waiting for it to happen. Okay, and the minute that um, I guess the brothers came on board that it became active. I mean, they were there with the flyers. They had done all the infrastructure stuff. They had coordinated the, the ride sharing that they needed to do during the time. You look at Dr. King at Morehouse, you look at Jesse Jackson from um, A&T, uh, Ralph Abernathy from Morehouse, not Morehouse, but uh, Alabama State. But again, there's a, an HBCU history all interwoven into that. Now, again, I think we have to be very careful to look at which HBCUs what they did, why they did it. And we haven't told a story yet of looking at those faculty members and other people on those campuses that created an environment where black students could look at their reality and imagine an alternative and not only imagine an alternative, but find a way to participate in it. I mean, very heavily involved when you look at the, uh, you know, what happened at a in terms of the sit-ins. Uh, there were also sit-ins here in Baltimore. They were students, Morgan students here, a and students there. And a lot of the people in those marches were students. Student Nonviolent Coordinated Committee came out of that, came out of Howard, uh, I think out of Dillard, uh, a couple of other HBCUs with critical people who were involved, and they just made it happen. So um, the, the long and short of it is that, as folks used to say a long time, the struggle continues. This and I think we are creating an environment, both intentionally and unintentionally, where our students recognize that. And they recognize, you know, that um, in the words of Dr. King, the promised land ain't here yet. You know, there's still some struggles and things we got to work on. And the virus is helping us understand it. Um, just heard the other day that, you know, black folks are disproportionately being left out of the vaccines. Mm -hmm. uh, even in the state of Maryland, the vaccines for white people are running way ahead of the incidence of the virus among them. As you know, the virus has hit hardest among blacks and his Hispanics and low-income people. Right. Well, the people who are getting the vaccines up front are white people. I don't progress that. Everybody wants to live, and I think they should. But you know, to show how endemic that what we call systemic racism is, it just creeps into everything. You don't have to look very, very far to find it. Well, and you know, I think you're right, and I think it's important that um, as a chronologically gifted among society, we continue to to have students understand. I say students, I'm gonna say young people because not all students are, are necessarily young people. But um, the, the point is that African-Americans have been struggling for the last 500 years to, to establish equity and equality and justice. And when you think about what's going on now, it is literally a replication of what started when they were first brought here. And when you think about the, the slave traders who literally displaced a whole people from multiple continents around the world, brought them here and tried to annihilate their, their culture, their, their religions, everything about them to make them assimilate to this and call them half people, that in so many ways, this is con the, it's a continuation. And each generation, our ancestors all have told us that we had to we, we can't afford to sit back and rest on our laurels and 
and be happy with what accomplishments have been made because the minute you do that, you lose because someone else is, is about to take over whatever it is that you've done. And just as we've seen people totally undo everything, what the last administration did, totally undoing everything that had been done by President Obama's administration, it is the same thing. It is annihilating all of that that helps other disenfranchised people. So I guess we're gonna to have to continue this. The struggle does absolutely continue. And it's always been, Dr. Huggins, as you pointed out, the young people in each generation, and they've become more astute each time. And the, it, when, it, when the HBCUs were established, in addition to being a part of, um, of trying to, to equalize the fact that minorities did not have the same education and we wanted to, it was the students that came out of those HBCUs who started, as you talked about, the SNCC movement, the sit-ins, all of the things that happened came out of young people who were ready. And then it was the same students who were in law schools who were able to not only do the movements, but then we knew how to in infiltrate the legislative system so that we could put help to get policies in place and things that were longer lasting. So you're right, Dr. Lakin, you were getting ready to say something. Dr. Lagan, were you going to say something? You said Dr. Hudson. Yes. So just a little <laughs> nugget of information. <laughs> okay. Um, what's the expression? You can call me anything, but not late for dinner, right? Uh, um, <laughs> to go back to the January 6th protest, interestingly, and I think I have my factual information correct, Michelle, one of Michelle Obama's Secret Service people, the brother, was part of that protest. Did you hear something about that? No, I heard that on, I couldn't hear it. on one of the uh, networks, but anyhow, but to extrapolate this theme a little bit more in terms of, by the way, gentlemen, happy new year. And the reason I say that is because now we're in 2021. So do you see any difference in terms of celebrating Dr. King's birthday now versus say the year 2000 or 1990? I, I would go back to what Dr. Hudgens said, you know, it's, they, it's the saying, of course, it's, it's, it's nothing new under the sun. And I think that the, the events of today are forcing uh, us as a society to revisit our history. And um, with COVID uh, and the challenges associated with COVID, and uh, Dean O'Brien alluded to this earlier, I think it has impacted the kind of outward advocacy that you would see from communities and universities because there's so many challenges that are happening at once and the, the lives lost as a result of COVID has been uh, taking a significant toll uh, on uh, communities. So I believe that with the, uh, the public health uh, challenges that exist in our society that it's not clear to see what type of advocacy would, or the level of advocacy that would take place. But I will say uh, the death of George Floyd, uh, the, just the march in Houston and the people uh, that, that, I mean, in, um, that came out of Houston, I believe that's his uh, hometown where he was born. And it was, it was a, a just, I might've been up to, I'm just hyper thinking 80,000 maybe people. It was a tremendous amount of people. And so there is the, the understanding that there has to be um, some type of expression when these events happen. 
And I think that while 20 years ago, um, and, and Dr. Hudgens can you know, share his thoughts, um, the, with, the, with less media noise and, 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 and confusion by social media, confusion about a lot of independent, um, politically driven uh, organizations, it might have been a more clearer understanding of the history of Dr. King. Now there are thousands upon, you can choose and customize what you want to listen to. And you may listen to a source that does not uplift Dr. King's legacy. If that's your choice, you can stay in a space where that's the only information that you can get. And I think maybe 20 years ago that the, the noise um, wasn't as loud and because of, of uh, the lack of, of, of the emphasis of social media. And um, so that's one thing. The other thing I would share, this goes back to a point that was mentioned earlier. One of our speakers, our keynote speakers at the MLK event uh, was um, Marvin Doc Cheatham, a distinguished alumni of Morgan, I mean, of, of Coppin State University. And um, Doc Cheatham talked about his role at Baltimore uh, NAACP and even his uh, role at, at, in organizing at Coppin as a student. And so today, what I hope to see through these, the negative things we see in society uh, is more advocacy and education of our students regarding Dr. King's history. But I think some may argue that 20 years ago, you could get a clearer understanding of Dr. King, whereas now you have to actually be looking for it because the, the, the lay of the land with all the social media as well as political media can be very confusing if you're not someone that knows how to digest and interpret um, all of the different missives of information that's, that comes out 24 hours a day in this news cycle. But I think that's part of the role of us as faculty members and as HBCUs. Uh, there were some smoke and mirrors back 20 years, 40 years ago as well. Uh, competing narratives. Um, and there was some very strong, we don't talk about them often, but there were some very strong black voices that opposed Dr. King. And his last year was pure hell for him in terms of the kind of opposition uh, that he got. So again, it takes, so, you know, those political science and criminal justice and sociology and philosophy discussions that take place in the classroom uh, to give students the tools to sift through all the noises out there. I do want to circle back, though, to the thing that uh, it's not all about young people. I mean, uh, you know, E.D. Nixon, who was a very prime mover in the bus boycott, uh, was a retired Pullman porter. I mean, he had retired, been in the military. A lot of people who participated in the early parts of the civil rights movement were World War II veterans uh, who had seen freedom, who had seen a different way of looking at the world as Black folk, and they came back home and they wanted to fight it. And I circle to, you know, what we do at Compton. Uh, Summer King is uh, the King Day celebration. It's also a wake up for faculty and staff. Uh, for some of them, it's a wake up. For some, it's a reminder. Um, and in many cases, people get exposed to things they had not been exposed to. Uh, some people are on the fence because they think they have made it and they wonder about reaching back and helping others. And some of the things that we say, some of the speakers we bring in kind of force them to come to grips with that. Why did they in the first place? Now, I think most of the people who had copping and indeed most people at HBCUs are there because they choose to be there and they choose to be there because of what they believe the mission to be. 
But every now and then, a good reminder is, is necessary. And I think as, again, with George Floyd, as with Dr. King, um, we have to recognize, and January 6th, uh, that there's a reality of systemic violence as well as systemic racism. And hopefully as we begin to, con or as we continue to try to deal with that, uh, we can see a brighter day. But the bottom line is uh, we live in some, as Dr. King would say, some very difficult times. And sometimes we become oblivious to that. Uh, in answer to your original question, Dean O'Brien, um, celebrating Dr. King during the Obama era was a very comfortable kind of thing. Uh, I think for some of us, it almost got to be ceremonial. It was a sense that, hey, hey, we made it. And then we got hit with this sudden change. And we recognized that it was no longer a celebration, but it's a kind of pulling together, trying to strengthen ourselves uh, to get ready for the storms ahead. Uh, and those storms came. They did. And, uh, you know, I was, I'm thinking about how we can circle back now and talk about some of the advocacy part. When you brought up um, Doc Cheatham, uh, Dr. Rice, Doc Marvin Cheatham, I hope he's doing well, um, I, doing better. But he has been a staunch advocate for Coppin State University, for, um, for that people may not know. And he has done so as an alumnus and has been very active. But I do wanna talk about the role that students can play uh, in helping to advocate. And then not everybody has the same desire or calling or understanding or comfort level with doing everything, but there is a role and a place for everybody if they're interested in doing it. Whether it, I mean, you may not be one be one is out in front to be leading a charge or talking about a charge or publicly talking about a charge, but there are letters to be written, there are calls to be made. There are, there are other things, volunteering, putting yourself in places because I do think that this has been a wake-up call, as you say, Dr. Hudgens, for a lot of people um, on HBCU campuses as as well as everywhere. And I think, and you know, I think George Floyd's murder was a wake-up call that brought everybody into the into the mix that hadn't been there before. I, one of the things that I, I think that happened as a result of his death was that the people you saw marching were of all colors, shapes, sizes, and hues. And you didn't see that before. And, or at least it wasn't as prevalent. But I also think that we need to try to help our students find ways that they can contribute that they're comfortable with, either because their parents think they should or should not go out and do it. And what are some of the ways that they can still contribute? Although some have, have parents and grandparents as do my children and my grandchild, know that we were out there earlier. And so they saw it as this is their turn to do it because we did it before. And so that's their responsibility now. But I do think it's good to talk about the ways and you started talking about that, Dr. Rice, that students can participate because I think they're looking, they're looking for ways to, to do things because I think they've been particularly impacted because they saw and heard things that we didn't see and hear when we were growing up, because we saw it so much after the fact, we saw it by the via the newspaper or the the news coverage after the event, but never in real time. And so it uh, and it's they don't have the Instagrams. Everything is so immediate now, and they see things differently. So they're they're they are processing it differently. 
and and so I think that that's something we need to think about in terms of how we do help them find their way to navigate to be comfortable in participating. And the yeah. other, the other, if I can, if I can just add, the other part is that our students are our future, and our students need to be become aware and continue to become aware of our of the history. We cannot forget history because we cannot allow events like that and the Holocaust to reoccur. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's well, I, I would say that through, you know, at Coppin and I'm sure other universities uh, through uh, clubs and orgs, be it Greek organizations or um, organizations such as the Criminal Justice Club at Coppin, there are places and spaces for students to step in to develop leadership peer-to-peer, uh, -peer, as well as through mentorship through staff and faculty so that they can assist in disrupting uh, the status quo. And so what do I mean when, when I say disrupting the status quo? Well, uh, you know, Dr. Hudgens mentioned that there are these systemic problems, be it violence, uh, racism, discrimination, uh, income inequality. And so if indeed as educators uh, and we recognize that these challenges have been ongoing. Are we preparing our students just to enter a system or systems that there's an acknowledgement um, are broken or can be improved? And so I think that the challenge that we have as educators is to prepare and equip our students with the ability to navigate um, these environments in, a, in, a, in an effective and positive way so they can influence change. Because what we don't want is our students to say, I'm excited to go into law enforcement, then go into law enforcement, get discouraged. I'm excited to go into education, go into education, then get discouraged because they see some of these same systemic challenges that we're discussing. So that doesn't mean that our students should go into these agencies and entities and get fired, right? But um, because they're like, I'm gonna change and turn, you know, and have rose colored glasses and how they see right. the world. But we can provide them the uh, the wisdom, uh, the the tools that they can that they can use, so that when they come into those systems, they know the history, as Dr. Legum said, they um, understand the environment that they're in, uh, and that they can affect positive change, not just from without those systems, but within those systems, and as leadership positions, um, and we can prepare them, encourage them through undergraduate, graduate education. Uh, and what we find is that uh, when um, we're in positions, people of color and leadership positions, uh, we often ensure that those environments and our teams are diverse and are reflective of communities that we serve. And so those are, are, are some ideas that I think on campus through clubs and orgs, but also in the classroom, preparing our students for the rough terrain that they may find, but having our students open-minded so that they can impact these systems in a positive way and not just join the systems uh, and be on the, uh, a cog on the conveyor belt, but an influencer that uh, enhances the environment and improves um, the mission of the organization or the system that they're in. I love the way you put that, not be a cog on the conveyor belt. I, that, that is so perfect because one thing I um, think I want to mention that you said was um, the influence that they can have being internal to a, to a system. And sometimes people think you have to be external to something to impact change. And while you can affect change differently 
from outside because you're unencumbered by the protocols within a system. You need people inside as well as people outside who are working together to affect the right kind of positive change. And so uh, as I'm sitting here saying that, I'm thinking that's exactly what just happened on January 6th, isn't it? People were inside and they were outside and we didn't know that. But um, but that is the way you, we have to change. And there is something significant about that. And, and with our graduate students, we have them when they're very connected to a discipline and they start to become involved in their professional associations that they might join, there are, um, there are uh, very good um, venues but to which they can attach themselves from, from legislative events to public relations events to research events that they can, they can be a part of positive change. And our theme for the, uh, the, the MLK event uh, that we had was social justice, the arts and activism. And so even through the arts, be it uh, oration, um, uh, visual arts, um, there's just so many opportunities uh, to support um, social justice and to uplift uh, the campus as well as uplift community and address some of these challenges. Uh, and so, um, you know, there's just so many pathways that are available, not only to our students, but to the, the broader Coppin community. Uh, and so even those murals that we see inspire and motivate uh, others from children to adults. And it all, those murals that we see also at the same time provide figures who are significant to uh, the movement, um, civil rights movement and in, our, in our history. And so even the arts is a critical area that um, through, through photography that can impact change. You yeah, I want to echo that. Uh, I mean, there has been a strong arts movement, I guess, going back since the Harlem Renaissance. And I can remember during the 60s, people like Amiri Baraka and other people through their poetry and Lorraine Hansberry through her plays. Uh, the same message was there, the same struggle, the same need to, uh, to move forward. Uh, but I do want to, although we're primarily about students, I, I want to make sure that we don't um, in the name of passing the baton, actually passed the buck. Uh, there were lots of, of senior level people, middle level people involved in the movement. Uh, Dr. King, I think it was like 39 when he got killed. And there were a lot of people older than he was. Uh, people who encouraged people who were out, out there, uh, people who uh, set the example. So yes, our students are have a responsibility and I think they will step up late. Uh, but we also have a responsibility. I mean, most of us have been far more gifted, more blessed and have benefited more from the civil rights movement than any of our students. They will in time, but you know, we are sitting here as uh, one of the most educated black generations to, to be around. Um, if you look at the, the, the statistics, uh, we're economically better off not as, as much as we want to be, uh, but we're looking at a bunch of highly educated middle-class black folk who are in a position to make a difference. And we need to be very careful that we don't just sit back and shuffle it off on the younger generation. Uh, I was sharing earlier about when I was younger about these old preachers uh, that used to talk about, you know, young man for war, old man for counsel. 
And that basically meant that the young old men sat back and sent the young men out to be wiped out. Uh, and we have to be careful that the old men are a part of the battle. They are out there setting the example uh, as opposed to sitting back. And I think there's a danger, um, uh, I guess, for those, as Dean O'Brien would say, who are chronologically gifted. There's a danger for us to lay claim to things that happened that we were not a part of, simply because we witnessed them. And the danger is that because we haven't been a part of them or we choose not to be a part of those things now, we send a message of hypocrisy to our students. Uh, yes, we want them to appreciate the history. We want to appreciate all of that. But we want them to understand that there is activism today. There are things that can be done. And they look at us and they say, well, Dr. Hodges, here you are, you know, with your house and your car and your PhD and a good job, and you ain't doing nothing. But you want me, while I'm working two jobs, trying to take care of my children and study for your quiz, you want me to go out and fight the battle. And I think we have to find ways to join hands to do things together. And we've seen some of that. You know, when students have gone down to Annapolis uh, with faculty members, um, and I don't know if many of us were out there doing the Freddie Gray kind of thing, uh, but there are ways that we can unite with them and show the example. And some of that includes, you know, active voter participation or uh, registration. Uh, I have to point out that uh, one of our colleagues, Dr. Um, Tolson, is now president of the Baltimore County chapter of the NAACP. Uh, we've got other people who are involved in uh, political steering committees, who are involved in campaigns. Those are the examples that students want. They don't want just to be told what to do, but they want to be shown what to do. And I think we got the capacity to do that. And on that, on that note, um, I'm one of these individuals who sees the glass as being half filled rather than half empty. And despite the January 6th protests and the past leadership, uh, I'm still very optimistic that better days are ahead. I, I agree, I agree, I agree. And I think that we should all continue to be a part of that and, and do by example, as Dr. Hudgens said, and there are still things that um, we are engaged in. And I am very proud of the things that are going on at Coppin State University from our Dr. Dorothy Heights Center to, um, that for social justice, as well as the, the um, big get out the vote um, piece that was going on with uh, within the social supply, social political sciences that, that Dr. Hudgens um, department, all over the university, there have been things going on. And, and I think we need to continue to capitalize on them because it does bring students in, in in a different way. And it allows us to work together with them as well as to show them um, things that they can participate in and the fact that we're all active as well. And so, and some of us are more active than others, but I think the continuation of this allows other people to become active. Some people, I mean, we can't even assume that our colleagues know all the time how to find a way in. And so when we provide those kinds of opportunities, I think it makes us all a healthier society. So, well, I wanna thank all of you, everyone, the, you two gentlemen, as well as my co-hosts for joining us today. This has been a, a wonderful, inspiring conversation. And we thank you so much. And I thank you, Dr. Hudgens, for starting the MLK celebrations at Coppin State University. And you and your protege, Dr. Rice, have 
who has continued on with this has it's been a wonderful um, opportunity as well as a, a as a blessing as an experience for all of Coppin State University faculty and students. So thank you very much. Thank you for your conversation today. And thank you, Dr. Legum, as always. And uh, we wanna say to those who may be listening, we thank you for listening today and we hope that you'll tune in. Again, you can find our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. This is, on the, this is our first live um, YouTube broadcast and we're very happy to have it. And for those of you who are thinking about enhancing your education, however that might be, Coppin State University stands willing, ready, and happy to serve you. We have wonderful degrees, wonderful faculty and staff, a fabulous campus, and we're looking to have help enhance, enhance you and help you uh, nurture yourself to get you where you want to go academically, educationally, socially, economically. So with that, we say good night to everybody. Thank you very much for listening and have a good day. Thank you.